0: I want to welcome everybody today to another episode of Fire More Than Flames and Smoke. And we have a special guest today, uh, Alan Johnston. He's the founder of Green Tech Environmental, and he is a wealth of information on the science technology side of controlling odors, controlling airborne and surface contaminants. And I just find it a privilege to have him here with us today. So Alan, if you'd like to say a quick hello, we'll get started.
1: Hi Lance uh pl- privilege to be with uh, with you as well today.
0: Thank you very much. Can you give us a real brief background a little bit as your ba- as your background uh, of where where you've come from and how we got to this point today?
1: Sure uh, my background is engineering. Uh, I'm a graduate of Purdue University in Indiana in electrical engineering and I worked in the aerospace industry for uh, 15 years on some exciting programs involving uh, NASA, the Space Shuttle, uh, and uh, a lot of different missile systems that uh, protect our country. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, enter the air purification industry uh, in 1997, uh, now uh, over 25 years ago. And it was... uh, Really, a combination of factors, but one that really drove my interest was the loss of my mother, who ultimately passed away from mold exposure in a school that she taught in. And as an, an aerospace engineer, I had a hard time understanding how something like that could happen in the world that we live in, with such great technologies available to us. And so, I've dedicated my the rest of my professional career to finding technologies that solve the problem of indoor air quality uh, and and do it in a way that really mimics the way that the nature cleans the air outside.
0: Well, I don't know if you really know how many lives you've actually reached, but just from the technologies that you've worked on and put out into the market, it's countless. So uh, I want to thank you for that. I know how it's affected my family. Uh You know, my friends that use these similar types of technologies. So, again, thank you for all that. But speaking of the technologies, why don't we get into some of them? I mean, the central and eastern part of the United States over the last week or so has really been impacted by fires coming out of Canada. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind, we think of Canada hundreds, thousands of miles away, depending on where you're located. But it's having a direct influence on us. And the technologies that you've worked on and are familiar with are really um, the lifeline for many people that have breathing issues or just regular people that are reacting to the uh, smoke. So I don't know if you want to just start talking about some of them or if you want me to request. Why don't, why don't we go with what you're comfortable with?
1: Well, it, the, the technologies are obviously something that I am passionate about, and uh, I, I I'm the founder of Green Tech Environmental and started that company almost 15 years ago now and and uh, the 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 object of uh, the mission, I'd say of our company is to is to find technologies that truly solve the problem or not just a band aid on them. And there are technologies that, as I said earlier, mimic what nature does outdoors and I'll'll I'll share some of those with you. this this, uh, issue that we're having recently with wildfire smoke is certainly a significant, uh, and it's a problem that pops up periodically, um, certainly, uh, every month of every year, uh, somewhere around the world. And, and the United States had a chance to experience it affecting, um, as many as a hundred million people here just in the last few weeks. Um, it is toxic.
0: Uh, wow. Can I interrupt you for one second? Because what you just mentioned affecting, you know, 100 million people in the United States, this is a part of the country that's not normally affected. But one of the things that came out of this, because of the thickness of the smoke, we actually got a glimpse into what the starting of a nuclear winter would look like. And, you know, it affected the overall climate. Um In New Jersey, which is where I'm from, the average temperature this time of the year is normally 80, 85 degrees. When the smoke was as thick as it was for those four days, we barely got to 70 degrees. It lowered the temperature almost 20 degrees a day, so it made a big difference, and that affects things going forward.
1: Makes a huge difference, and we see the same from volcano eruptions, although not something that we often see here in this country, but in other parts of the world, uh, not uncommon. And uh, uh, it's it's a scary uh, situation. but uh, uh, from uh, what affects you and I and what we're really concerned about our health, um, you know, the effect of what the constituents that make up that wildfire smoke, um, more than just what we can see, it's the chemical compounds that are inside of that smoke that are of real concern. I have the privilege to be on multiple boards of, of uh, committees uh, with ASHRAE. And ASHRAE is the the standard that is set for heating and air conditioning and uh, indoor air quality. And one of those standards is 522, 2 which uh, is the standard for filtration. And what you hear most about when someone talks about The concerns over health and wild forest fire smoke is PM 2.5 or particulate matter at 2.5 microns. And that is just one size particle. Obviously, wildfire smoke contains particles of virtually every size, uh, up to particles that we can uh, see very clearly. Uh, But uh, scientists have really focused in on that one size uh, because it's one that they, they measure and have identified as one that can get into our lungs and get absorbed into our bloodstream and have a dramatic health effect. And so filtration becomes an important part of a solution to dealing with wildfire smoke indoors. Uh, I know that people are, are talking about setting up safe rooms within their homes a place that they can go that that will allow them to breathe and and have a minimal effect from the wildfire smoke, and for those that have technologies that are they put into these rooms, uh, congratulations! It's something that we should all have to be able to have a safe haven. We never know when wildfires can hit. I'm sitting in northeast Tennessee, not far from Gatlinburg, a, a beautiful. Uh, uh, one of the most visited national parks, but was struck by a wildfire just a few years ago uh, that took out thousands of acres and burned uh, thousands of homes. Uh, something that was unheard of because we we just don't have many wildfires in this area, uh, and and we we got a glimpse of of what that can mean. Um, it can strike anywhere and. Preparedness is important. So as uh, as we've uh, worked uh, as a community within Ashray, developing standards for filtration, high-quality HEPA-type pleated filters uh, that are able to filter out these ultrafine particles is very important. Um, most people don't have filtration in their home other than maybe on their uh, HVAC system. And a lot of people are going out and buying 50 cents filters from Walmart. And uh, one of the things that uh, I would like to say right up front is don't do that. Invest in a quality filter uh, that is pleated. And there are a number out of them out there that are MERV 7 uh, rated filters. And that's generally what a typical HVAC system can handle. MERV ratings, have to do with the effectiveness of the particle uh, capturing ability. Uh, The higher the MERV rating, the tighter the weave, the less air uh, flows through the filter. And one of the things that we can't do is typically on most systems put a, uh, a HEPA type filter, which is MERV 13 and above. A true HEPA filter is MERV 16. HEPA type filters start around MERV 13 but those are very restrictive to airflow or can be, and most of your systems can't handle it. But if you can go from just a a dust punny catcher, which is a a typical cheap 50 cent filter that is uh, made of fiberglass that you can see through to a quality pleated filter that would be a MERV 7, you're going to be light years ahead um, for that. But a filter doesn't take out another problem with wildfire smoke, and that's chemical constituents. That- that's
0: one of, That's one of the things that we uh, talked about, especially when COVID hit, that people were wearing masks. And the masks are fine for particulate, but it wasn't stopping something at the size of a virus. And the same thing with smoke. It'll stop the particulate, but nothing to do with the gases.
1: That's correct. Lance, the, the gases are of significant concern to health inside that wildfire smoke. There are toxic gases, chemical compounds that, that are harmful to our health. And, and for the most part, uh, we're able to deal with lots of issues, lots of chemicals that we get faced with our, uh, our bodies, are our, our are, have, are wonderful at being able to deal with those. But as we get uh, exposed to more and more chemicals, which we are uh, uh, chemicals that uh, come through our skin from laundry detergent chemicals come from the, the uh, cleaners that we use in the indoor environment to clean, to sanitize, which is great, but those chemicals get in the air and we breathe them in and it's not a surprise that today uh, the CDC and EPA are saying that over 15% of our population have chemical sensitivities. In other words, they've been exposed to so many chemicals that their body is no longer able to deal with it. And now they become what is often referred to as hypersensitive to chemicals and have a, of an adverse reaction to them. And now they have to be extremely cautious because their body can no longer take that exposure. And so it puts them into a downward spiral. So those people are using hypoallergenic laundry detergent, for instance. Uh, They're they're using things that are uh, for people who have chemical sensitivities. If you want to avoid becoming chemically sensitive, you want to remove as many chemicals as you can from your environment, so that your body doesn't become overwhelmed. And certainly wildfire smoke with all the chemical constituents in it, create a problem that do put people at risk in that way.
0: One of the uh, episodes that we're doing, we were talking with a uh, professional uh, forest fire fighter. And uh, he talks about the different types of forest fire smoke a lot of people say, well, it's like a campfire. We do that all the time or we have a fire pit. Well, that's when just the, the trees basically and, and the brush are burning. When it burns through an area with warehouses and homes, everything that is going airborne is toxic, you know, beyond just the regular smoke from the firewood. So, you know, it, it's a completely unknown situation as to what you're breathing. You can't just say, "Oh, it's a typical campfire," which I, I'm used to all the time. And uh, just like with uh, contaminated water from a flood, everything is in that water. It's no longer drinkable. Well, this isn't really good to breathe, though. You can't stop doing that.
1: That's true, but there are there are technologies that exist which are able to deal with those chemical constituents, and and whether it's from wildfire smoke or just just cleaning compounds that we use, uh, there are technologies there and, and ones that I have been focused on in my career in indoor air quality for over 25 years. Um, there are- Could you tell
0: us about a few of them? I,
1: I, I'd love to. Uh, one that, that I have focused on primarily is something called pro, uh, photocatalytic oxidation or another term is photocatalysis. Uh, photo refers to ultraviolet light. Uh, catalytic refers to the catalyst, which the ultraviolet light activates that creates a reaction. But by definition, the catalyst itself never changes, it never gets used up. What's happening is, is uh, the, the photocatalyst typically made of a compound that has a very high band gap energy which titanium dioxide is the primary one that is used, um, it allows for the UV light to create enough energy to break the bonds uh, of the electrons that rotate the nucleus of this uh, titanium dioxide, leaving behind electron holes. Now I'm getting a little deep in the technology side of it, but it's fascinating to think about because um, these electron holes that are left behind. I mean, the the, the titanium dioxide, which has a lot of, it's, it's a very strong material. It has a lot of energy that holds the electrons to itself. So when it loses it, it has a strong pull to get them back. Well, as molecules come into contact with the surface of this photocatalyst, um, those electrons do get pulled away. And now it, now it uh, breaks down something called molecular disassociation. Breaks down these chemicals, and the chemical that uh, that existed prior to reaching the surface of the photocatalyst is no longer. It's broken down into its subcomponents, and it literally no longer exists. And that's the beauty of a photocatalytic system: is we can take things which are harmful in the atmosphere put them through this system and actually eliminate them. Um, people do things like spray spray chemicals in the air to make the air smell better because they don't like the smell of this, the, uh, the the wildfire smoke or other odors that may occur in the home. But uh, that's just adding more chemicals on top of the chemicals that are already there. Uh, Photocatalysis is able to break those down. In addition to that, it also creates... Uh, oxygen and hydrogen-based compounds like hydroxyls, HO, hydrogen peroxide, uh, in a vapor form of H2O2, uh, 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 other types of compounds, hydroperoxides, uh, uh, HO2, um, they're all made of hydrogen and oxygen, but those compounds, also referred to as oxidizers, as they travel out, they oxidize Uh, molecules as well. So it's not just working inside this photocatalytic system that is used and put into HVAC systems as well as standalone products, but it also creates things that travel out and clean the air actively throughout the ventilated space. Everywhere the air is, it's cleaning the air. So we can create that, that safer environment by using that kind of technology. There are some other technologies on, uh, in addition to photocatalytic oxidation are also referred to as PCO, such as bipolar ionization. Um, now that can be used with needlepoint uh, ionization, where you have both a positive and negative ch- electrical charge, and it puts these electrical charges in the air that can come into contact with water vapor and break those down and create oxidizers in the same way that photo photocatalysis does. Um, There are also uh, uh, DBI, dielectric barrier ionizers, which uh, do not use needlepoint. They use a different kind of technology. uh, But it it creates this plasma of positive and and negative electrical charges, uh, which tend to last longer than just a a bipolar ionization uh, technology does. But these two travel out and are able to break down contaminants so if we look at what all of these technologies i've just described do it is mimics what happens outdoors every day with the sun creating the energy that uh, interacts with with compounds that create this photocatalytic reaction the sun creating these electrical charges that are in the air and and cleaning the air actively i i often say there's no giant vacuum cleaner in the sky with a filter on it that purifies our air outside. And in spite of everything we do outside, whether nature does with wildfires, or we do with automobiles and cars and airplanes producing pollutants in the air, um, all the outdoor air is constantly being polluted, yet the outdoor air generally is five to 10 times cleaner than indoor air. And that's according to the US EPA. Um, And the reason for that is nature has these systems in place that clean the air and create a healthier environment outdoors than we have indoors in spite of what you might do to keep things clean. Um, So our, our, our goal is to bring those technologies indoors.
0: Alan, I got to interrupt you for a second. I sure. mean, you had said about getting too technical. I don't think you did, but I, I want to point out that all of these technologies are available. This is what is commonplace today. And, you know, we, we've talked about in other trainings, uh, I use the term science fiction becomes science fact. Right. It may sound like science fiction, but this is all what's working nowadays. And it's affordable it's something that everybody can get their hands on you don't have to go to nasa to request something like this you know it, it's there you just have to know what you're looking for and asking for we get a lot of uh, people that say oh yeah i have an air purifier well what do you have and they tell you and it's a inexpensive filter mm-hmm. and you know we know what filters that filters only filter what makes it to the filter The proactive technologies you're talking about go out and find the problems and take care of it wherever it's at. So that's a big difference. And um, I applaud people for wanting to do something, but they really need to get the information to know what they're getting. Just like the people that wore masks when uh, COVID hit. I mean, how many people did you see wearing masks made out of paper towels? I'm wearing a mask. Well, yes, you are. However, you know, whether it works or not. So where do you see uh, this industry going with like the technologies that are there right now, they're not brand new. they've been enhanced, they've been combined together. but moving forward, especially with uh, the changes in our environment, smoke conditions, uh, temperature, relative humidity problems, where, where do you see we going or us going with that?
1: Well, uh, the, the technologies are, are are slowly being accepted. Um, one of the reasons that I became heavily involved with ASHRAE and on a number of committees was there has been an overall resistance to electronic air purification, the technologies that I just described. And some of the testing that has been done on them, the way the tests have been set up, um, the results have not been positive. Uh, the problem with the the, the test and their protocol was that they have done what a, what is referred to as single pass testing. In other words, they'll put some kind of a challenge gas uh, and put it through the photocatalytic reactor and measure what comes out the backside. And uh, in this breaking down of the molecule, in some cases, the molecule that comes out, the backside is worse than the molecule that came in. Uh, it's what is referred to as a cascading process. So you start with one molecule; it breaks to another, it breaks to another. But if all you do is measure it after one pass, well, that's not really a good indication because we don't we don't put systems in our homes or businesses or, or factories that just go through once. We are constantly circulating the air through the room through our devices. It's working continuously. And unfortunately, the people who who can create these protocols for testing, um, try and control it to a a level that uh, we end up with these protocols that that make just a single pass. I'm very thankful at our our international meeting uh, in Atlanta in February, There was a great session with a number of PhDs that worked tirelessly on this subject um, showing the results of what what we refer to in the industry as electronic air purification can do and the benefits of it and and really putting holes in what has been the standards, the protocols that have been used up until now. Um, One of the other subjects I'll just throw in was that that Ashray has a, a mandate to decarbonize, which means to save energy. Uh, and, and up until now, and, and still today, uh, really, uh, people have thrown their arms up as to how to deal with this indoor air quality problem, other than just to ventilate, which means bringing fresh air from outside inside because we know that the outside air is cleaner than the inside air. So the solution to indoor air pollution becomes dilution, which it is true. It does make the air quality better indoors to bring a lot of fresh air in, but you have to heat and cool that. So we're spending more money. We're using more energy uh, in order to heat and cool when we can get the same results through uh, using this electronic air purification that really mimics what happens outdoors. Uh, So uh, we're we're making headway and I'm thankful for that. Uh, But the technology exists today. NASA has used photocatalytic oxidation technology in the space station since it was put up in the air. It's been critical for them in the growing of plants, but it also helps to purify the air throughout the space station and break down chemical compounds that are being used there. And so uh, when people say, is it safe? Well, it's mimicking what happens outdoors, one. Secondly, uh, NASA has been using it for decades successfully, and it has it uh, uh, been key to the uh, International Space Station, will be key to a Mars mission in the future.
0: Some of the... Um issues that you were talking about you know how some of the technology is not accepted the testing data things like that unfortunately politics gets involved in this Uh, during uh, one of the episodes uh, with the firefighter from uh, California that we were talking with he had been involved with uh, a lot of litigation over using fire retardants on fire on forest fires where they're dropping these retardants from planes yes and pushing out or putting out the fires almost immediately. The problem is, is a movement out there saying that it's polluting the watersheds doing that. Well, here's the problem, the way he described it, that if you can attack the fires quickly with this retardant, yes, it can affect the watershed. If you don't attack it quickly and let it burn, there is no longer a watershed. And, You know, it's I don't want to say the lesser of two evils, uh, but the politics gets in the way of putting out the fire, basically. And that's unfortunate. Uh, The stuff that you're talking about, people not understanding the technologies and not being mainstream is because of, like you said, the testing, the way it's done, uh, the cascading effect. You know, everything goes through that process. Uh, Another component of indoor air quality is radon. Now, it's a a radioactive gas. The difference is that it's not actually radon that causes the problem. Radon breaks down into three other components that are the radioactive material that actually cause damage to the human lungs. Nobody talks about that. They just say radon, and radon is not really what's even being detected. So the politics, the buzzwords, I guess that gets in the way.
1: It does. People grab hold of of uh, a small point and and run with it and and discount uh, uh, technologies processes without really understanding them. Um, we have here at Green Tech spent almost two million dollars on testing over the last three years. Uh, some of that was on COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, which was important, obviously, during the pandemic, but. Um, Testing on mold, uh, bacteria, um, on VOCs, uh, looking at uh, monitoring formaldehyde and toluene and some of these other uh, chemicals that are harmful to human health yet are found frequently in the indoor environment, you know, and been able to show through the use of our photocatalytic technology, the use of dielectric barrier ionizers, uh, bipolar ionization, unipolar ionization, um, that we're able to reduce the chemical load in the environment uh, over a matter of, of uh, hours and days, uh, that even when we inoculate the space with compounds that when they get broken down, create things like formaldehyde, that we actually don't even see an increase in formaldehyde as we monitor that, we see it go down continuously from one day to the next, and it stays down as long as the technology is running in the space. So it's, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of that in a laboratory environment, and that's the reason that the the data uh, is not able to show the true results because uh, typically tests are run for 30 minutes or an hour or, or two hours, but not longer than that. And uh, that's not the way that our our products operate. We're running continuously and they're constantly breaking down and getting down to a level where uh, the contaminants in the space, whether they're chemical, whether they're particles, whether they're biological, uh, that we have reduced them down to a level that allows our bodies uh, to deal with the remnants that uh, that always exists. You never get 100% of anything out of the air, but if we can get them down to where our natural immune system can deal with them, um, that's the key. And that's why people that have COPD, that have asthma, respiratory issues, get such relief from the use of this electronic air purification technology that I've described today.
0: How about um, odor control? Because that's another big component of the wildfires that are affecting people now again they see it so they're reacting to it but they also usually smell it before they see it that I mean, is so I, true i did here in new jersey it was like all well, of the morning was fine the afternoon was like i smell fire and by that evening it looked like sunset at four o'clock in the afternoon it was just so dark so what, what's available out there for odor
1: well, and, and some, of the, some of the odor gets dealt with through the use of, of the technologies I've described, uh, photocatalysis, uh, dielectric barrier ionization, bipolar, unipolar ionization, um, but not 100%, and especially because wildfire smoke, the smell from it is so overwhelming. Uh, I am really excited about a technology that um, I learned about uh, that was developed by a tiny company up in Kentucky, and my company was able to uh, get the exclusive worldwide rights to for applying this technology to a filter. It's a uh, the, the the trade name is called OdorGuard, and by the name, it is something that deals with odors, but it goes way beyond that. Uh, but it's used in. Uh, in in different uh, areas where odors are a big problem, like inside of trash bags today, uh, GLAAD has an odor-reducing trash bag that uses the same technology applied inside the bag. Uh, adult diapers uh, uh, that uh, uh, obviously there, we understand the issues with odor there. Um, it it is so fast working. And so complete at being able to break down lots of different odors. And what's even, uh, to me, even more exciting, because the odors are something that are offensive, but it's what's causing the odors, the chemicals behind it that concern me. Uh, Its ability to break down VOCs as well is important. It's a totally non-toxic chemical. Um, It is very safe. It has no odor in itself. It's applied to a filter surface and uh, we have put it into a number of different products including just regular HVAC filters. So I I started talking uh, today about uh, the importance of having a quality filter for your return air of your HVAC. Um, We do apply these to pleated filters, MERV 7 pleated filters, uh, and so that not only can the filter trap those particles that are so important to be trapped, um but they can also the the coating on the filter can break down the vocs uh that are important to be broken down as well as breaking down the odor and so uh we've we've used odor guard in assisted living facilities where we we all know what the smells can be in those kind of facilities we've used them in dormitories where the smell uh, body odors can be a little bit uh, 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 strong. Um, it is effective in so many different applications where odor is a problem. And and what's exciting is it's not dealing just with the odors, but also chemicals.
0: Can I just change the path here a little bit? I mean, all of that sounds like there there is hope. And for the next forest fire or next airborne contaminant, I mean, there are technologies that will absolutely protect us and help us breathe easier if you want to call it that but we also have fire situations out in california and i mentioned before about the politics of like you said the testing and things like that can you touch on quickly why california that has such a large air pollution problem between smog and fires and everything else is so aggressively against air purification I. It's just, I, I don't understand that. And I, I think our listeners would want to understand that a little bit too.
1: Well, I, I have a, a, a lot of a lot of experience with California and air purification. Uh, in 2007, I was the representative of all manufacturing of electronic air purifiers in front of the California Resource Board, also referred to as CARB. Um and they had a law that they were uh, wanting to put into effect in, and they had the uh, the Air Resource Board uh, spent uh, two days reviewing whether or not they needed to pass a law, which basically outlawed the use of uh, electronic air purifiers that produce ozone. And uh, I think there was a misunderstanding because California is, had a, a, a big issue with uh, air, air pollution. Uh, I uh, spent the first year of my uh, college education at a school in California before m- moving to Purdue to finish my college career. And I remember so well uh, just being four miles from the, the, the mountains north of Los Angeles and not even seeing them for the first two months that I was at the school, and all of a sudden one day they, they appeared on uh, the skyline. Uh, pollution used to be in this, and this was in the seventies, much worse than it is today. Uh, so I I give a lot of credit to California for taking steps, whether it's car emissions, whether it's factory emissions, they have done everything that they possibly can. But there was a the misconception was that pollution oftentimes is measured by measuring ozone because it's an easy gas to measure. The nitrogen oxides that are created through automobile smoke much, much harder to measure. And what's interesting is is that other pollutants as they rise, ozone rises with them. It's uh, I, I call it the fire, the fireman that fights the fire. Ozone is created naturally in nature as pollution rises because the ozone helps to break down the pollution. So it's uh, uh, by wanting to get rid of ozone, it's kind of like saying we want to get rid of firefighters because every time we see a fire, um, there's a fireman there. So obviously, if we got rid of the firemen, we wouldn't see any more fires. Um, but uh, the comment that was made to me by a number of the air resource board members. These are also uh, government officials in the different Uh, areas of California from San Diego to north of Sacramento. And I sat down with every single one of them uh, in their offices to talk about this. Uh, One of them mentioned to me, I said, I don't understand why we would want to generate ozone when we've been working so hard to get ozone out of our state. And and I, I had to correct him to say, you've been working to get pollution out of your state ozone is not the pollution. Elevated levels of ozone aren't good, but the elevated levels of ozone are there because of the pollution that you have. Um, They ultimately decided to pass the law uh, against uh, air purifiers that generate ozone. And uh, therefore, uh, that is uh, one uh, uh, low-level ozone. We're talking about levels that the EPA said are safe and natural that are found outdoors in, in very pristine parts of the world uh, every day, there's no place around the world that doesn't have a low level of ozone, except indoors um, that, that they would not allow ozone to be generated in air air purifiers. Um, and, and, you know, as much as I disagreed with that, um, you know, we just looked for ways that we can still help people through other technologies to be able to purify their air and our photocatalytic technology, bipolar ionization, dielectric barrier ionization, they're all able to do that without generating ozone. But the one thing that was a challenge was odors, because one thing that is really great about low level ozone, I'm not talking about high level, I'm talking about ozone that's so low, you can't smell it, uh, which in the levels that are that are safe and, and acceptable by the EPA and OSHA and and WHO and any other health organization you can name. Um, it, it's great at breaking down odors. And uh, uh, that's one of the things I loved about it and, and not having access to it for people who live in California uh, was disappointing. Uh, but that's one of the great things that we found with OdorGuard and the ability to break down odors. Um, so we're able to create products that people in California can use with high quality filtration, with odor reduction through the use of uh, our odor guard technology, and then incorporating these other te- uh, technologies like uh, photocatalysis and, and bipolar ionization.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. And thank you for answering that question. Um, we're almost out of time here. Is there anything that you'd like to sum up with? I know we covered quite a bit and uh, extremely informative. Uh, the technology side, I think, is something that people need to hear and understand, so they don't just wear the paper towel mask and think they're protected.
1: So, so true. I, I mean, one of the things that I say about technology is is you know nature uses a lot of different mechanisms to keep things clean. Um, don't get locked into just one technology. Filtration's important, but it's not the be-all to end-all. Um, th- th- use a multi-technology strategy, and there's a lot of wonderful technologies out there. I'm proud of what we've been able to put into products, but uh, um, you know, there's some excellent products out there. But look at what they do. Look at their test data. Make sure it's real. Uh, filter in a inside of a box. Um, is it doing something? Yes, but is it is it uh, enough? Absolutely not. Uh, you need to do more than that. So I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today, Lance, and be on this uh, uh, this webinar, and and uh, hopefully this benefits some people that listen to it.
0: Absolutely, Alan, and I want to thank you for the time you spent with us, the great information, and I look to uh, look
1: forward to doing more interviews with you in the future. Thanks thank so you. much.